Welcome to Safety Talk. Personal safety expert Pete Canavan shares his insights and interviews experts who provide simple and effective tips, techniques, and technologies to keep you safe and secure both online and off. Here's Pete. Hello and welcome to Safety Talk. I am your host and personal safety expert, Pete Canavan. I am joined by my colleague, branding and social media expert, Neil Haley. How you doing, Neil? I'm doing great, man. Just trying to recover from Vegas <laughs> just because of how crazy that uh, ISC West was and just trying to get back in the swing of a, a daily routine. It just seems like I'm taking more and more naps. I'm ready to hopefully recover <laughs> by tomorrow. Vegas will do that to you. That's why they have oxygen bars all over the place to recharge your batteries. Uh, Vegas was awesome. I was there with you. We had a great time. We saw tons of incredible new safety and security products. We're going to be talking to a lot of those people on future episodes of Safety Talk. I talked to a lot of people in the emerging emerging technology uh, area of the show. And a lot of them were very interested in coming on the show to, you know, let the world know about what it is that they're doing. And man, there were some really, really cool things. So that, uh, so look forward to, to that coming up in the, in the coming weeks. Awesome. Now, Perfect. What, yeah. we, uh, what we always do is, you know, we take a look at the safety news that's occurred during the, uh, the week here. And really it seems like the weather seems to have <laughs> stolen the headlines over the past few days because there've been basically tornadoes from Texas to Pennsylvania where I live that have caused massive damage. And, you know, it's a stark reminder to us all that mother nature is a force to be reckoned with. She can't be tamed and is capable of dishing out major destruction to not only property, but to life as well. In fact, uh, last night here, we had uh, a very mild tornado actually touch down literally right down the road from where I live. And uh, it's scary because I was working in my office and I heard that freight train sound that they talk about and I've never heard it before. And I heard it last night and I was like, holy cow, this isn't good. And it was followed by severe hail and the winds were outrageous. I went in, I checked out my wife, let her know what was going on. She was already up at the window, went in, checked out my kids, let them know, get away from the windows. We might be having to go downstairs kept my eye outside on the weather and uh, luckily it passed us by, but it barely passed us by. I mean, there were houses literally a couple miles down the road that had their roofs ripped off. So, yeah. Yeah. And you know, we've seen the destruction down South as well. So it's scary. And, you know, you got to really be aware and know what threats exist and how to recognize those threats. And, you know, Speaking of forces to be reckoned with, um, we know that people do bad things as well as nature. And, you know, of course, no organization ever says, you know, hey, today's the day we'll have ourselves a workplace violence incident, right? But in this day and age, we see workplace violence claiming far too many lives, unfortunately. And it's crucial that all organizations be aware of the dangers of workplace violence and that they develop programs that are able to detect and prevent and then when unfortunately something happens respond to that threat or that incident of workplace violence and so you know you don't want to be the organization on the news that says we never thought it would happen to us unfortunately that is what most people say when some sort of violence or some sort of problem happens hey i never thought it was going to happen to me i never thought that was going to happen to us well It could happen and it probably will happen. And it's just a matter of time before some form of violence, personal, professional, somewhere, online, offline, unfortunately, 
affects you. And so our guest today is Ashley Desario of Ashley Desario Consulting. And Ashley has 13 years of experience working with the U.S. government as well as her clients in the private sector. And her experience applying psychological theories in investigative, operational, and national security settings allows her to assist individuals as well as organizations in understanding the mindset of an individual as well as their motivations, their behaviors, and their intentions. And this is something very interesting. And her understanding is in predicting as well as countering those behaviors of individuals who, you know, they potentially are displaying some sort of dangerous character traits. And that enables her to turn around and work with these organizations so that they can achieve high levels in their threat and violence risk assessment and their investigations as well as other areas. Um, her uh, professional credentials, she has a bachelor of science in, in psychology. She has a master's in forensic psychology. And so, you know, she knows that organizations cannot have a one-size-fits-all plan for workplace violence. And she works with organizations to develop these individualized and comprehensive plans to prevent and analyze and respond to different threats of violence. So I'm sure it's going to be a very interesting show and uh, want to welcome our guest to Safety Talk. Ashley, thanks for being on the show. Thank you for having me. So glad you're here. You know, anything that we can do to improve safety is what we are all about here at Safety Talk. Now, you obviously you, you work with a lot of different organizations and the I think some people may know what workplace violence is. Maybe they're not quite sure how workplace violence is defined. Maybe we could start right off with, you know, sort of what is what you found to be the quote, you know, the sort of definition of what workplace violence is and maybe some of the different types that there are. Mm-hmm. A lot of people use the OSHA definition, um, which I'll just read it. It's any act of threat or physical violence, harassment, intimidation, or other threatening disruptive behavior that occurs in the workplace. And so this can range from just um, threats and verbal abuse to actual homicide or physical assault. But the main point is that it's an intentional act, whether it was planned or it was more spur of the moment, it's an intentional act, which has the likelihood of resulting in injury, um, death, psychological harm as well. A lot of people forget about that one. Um, and, you know, also just deprivation of, you know, your basic human rights. And suicide is also in there as well, which a lot of people feel that it they or they'll miss that a little a lot of times you know they don't see that as workplace violence but i've worked with places where an employee or um someone who knows someone within that organization goes in and um commits suicide within the building and then that causes a lot of psychological harm and other things um as well and so you just basically have to have an individual who wants to do some sort of harm um in a workplace um for workplace violence to actually occur do you see a lot of times that workplace violence come the people that are involved it's because of the pressure of their jobs and basically leadership lacking in management at times that leads to the workplace violence there's so many different factors but yes that those all are in there um you know there's a lot of high stress workplaces right now um and as you know stress builds up and builds up you know if the person doesn't have an outlet for that um say they're going to their boss and saying hey i need more 
work-life balance with my family. You know, I need someone to help me out with these projects. You know, uh, I'm, I'm drowning over here. And if, if they keep trying and nothing's happening, you know, that stress just keeps piling up because more than likely they're having issues at work. And then it's also affecting home life, their health. And so those stressors start adding up. And also, there's a lot of uh, lack of appropriate training for um, supervisors just in how to handle certain things. So um, if supervisors had the proper training, um, that uh, a lot of times helps as well to sort of know how to handle these employees. So it can also decrease some of their stress. But Actually, there, it's about 75% of employees also say they're dealing with workplace bullying. Um, so that's become a big one recently. I was uh, going to ask you about that. Is the bullying, is that classified also as some workplace violence? Because sure, it could be, you know, adults can be bullied just like kids. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's those ambiguous, toxic sort of behaviors, such as, you know, just ethical violations that keep happening in the workplace and no one's doing anything about it, to the bullying, to sexual harassment, to comments that are being made. And so all of this goes into essentially creating a toxic workplace. And you'll hear a lot of employees say, well, I reported it, or my manager was just moved to another division after, you know, he or she was causing all these issues. And I know a lot of people say in the government, it's kind of, you know, promote them out. So those people who are causing issues or can't get along with coworkers or supervisors are then promoted to a new job, to a different division, and they just keep passing the problems around until it finally comes to a head at some point in time. Yeah. And, and you know, I'm sure nobody wants to be the first because it could be happening, you know, from a supervisor, it could be happening to a lot of the employees within the organization, but they may not know it's happening to others. They may think maybe it's only happening to me. And until one person speaks out, it kind of, you know, doesn't really get addressed. And bullying, I mean, I was going to bring that up, so I'm glad you did, because bullying, you know, people think, oh, you know, kids are, are mostly the ones that are bullied. No, anybody can be bullied. I mean, countries can bully each other, right? You have a stronger, it, it, the definition of bullying is somebody who exerts power over another weaker person or entity or country or whatever. And so that can lead to increased levels of stress. And if you don't have an outlet for that stress, you're going to, you know, snap someday. And I have the martial arts to fall back on. I mean, if I didn't have something like that to give me that stress relief, I probably would have popped a while ago, right? Because we can't keep these things bottled up. You have to have something that gets that stress out, whether it's working out, whether it's it's some other hobby or pastime that reduces your stress level. Because as you said, Ashley, it's a stressful work environment out there. Employers are asking more and more of the people that work for them. And so when you couple that with harassment, when you couple that with bullying, when you couple that with uh, difficulties at home that may or may not be brought on from work, but, you know, problems nonetheless, for whatever reasons, because we all don't know what somebody's you know, problems are in their home life, those things can all add up. No. So no doubt. So different types of workplace violence, I guess, sort of. Uh, they fall into so many different categories, it's kind of hard to say, well, there's the three types of workplace violence, right? It's, <laughs> it's a lot bigger than that. 
Yeah, there's four basically main ones that people try to categorize a lot of it into, and a lot of them do fall within there. So there's sort of the the criminal intent, those who enter a workplace with the intention to rob or commit some sort of criminal act. And actually, robberies are one of the leading causes of workplace violence. So if you have a retail store and there's a lot of people coming in and out, or you're just open to the public and whatnot, that the the criminal intent is actually pretty high in terms of workplace violence. And then you have the violence directed at employees by like clients, customers, you know, those who are coming in. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it just one bad day, as, as Pete talked about at work, and then you get home and then it builds up or it's a specific grudge. It could be from a coworker. It could be a specifically stressful situation. And if other people in the, the workplace do not identify these problems before they get big, then we could have an active shooter. We could have then a specific and huge thing happen or a viral video that really doesn't help the company and it could cause a lot of damage as well and, and lives. So that's so that's two. What else, what else we have? Um, then you have the violence um, where it's an employee creating violence on or perpetrating violence on either another coworker, supervisor, or manager. And then the last one is just um, the typical one that people understand is domestic violence. Those situations that spill over. So those people may not have um, a tie to the organization other than to someone who's inside there, and then they come in um, and violence occurs. So for example, there was one in the news where, you know, a teacher was in a school and her husband, while it was the ex-husband at that time, you know, came in and and did um, do some acts of violence and, and had a loaded gun and everything. And so those are, that's sort of like the fourth type. Interesting. Are there any, you know, I guess, glaring warning signs or maybe not so glaring, you know, maybe some subtle warning signs that people should be educated to recognize maybe some tips that you could share that, you know, some things to look out for. I mean, there's no one size fits all. And in my field, you know, once an act of violence happens and then all the reports come in, all the law enforcement comes in and you really dig into these people's lives, you see that there were so many. Um, and a lot of times it's just that, uh, you know, different departments or different people or different organizations aren't communicating all of these um, behaviors. And so when whenever you get the report of what happened, it looks like people should have known right away. Um, but a lot of times the stuff isn't brought to light until an uh, incident occurs. And one of the ones I always like to tell people is, um, you know, the person gets really happy. Um, you know, they may have been disgruntled, you know, upset with people, upset with the workplace. And then all of a sudden they start coming in and they're really happy that week. And people think, oh, great. You know, uh, John has changed and he's he's in a great mood. We have nothing to worry about anymore. We don't have to tiptoe around what we say to him. Um, but that might be because he has a plan now. He knows what day he's going to he or she is going to commit this act. And so that's a number one that I always tell people is, you know, we, we often talk about the changes in behavior from, from your normal uh, behavior to like disgruntlement or anger, but you also have to pay attention to the opposite. 
um, when they have been disgruntled so much and then all of a sudden they're happy. Um, I don't think I've heard of that before because usually, like you said, it's usually the other way around where you have somebody who, you know, they're normal, they're doing a job, you say hi to them, whatever, and then all of a sudden they kind of maybe get withdrawn, they get quiet, maybe they're, you know, a little bit more sullen and, and, and a little, they change in that regard. But that's interesting because I haven't heard that, you know, the other way they could go the other way too. And that could be equally as, as uh, a warning sign that could be easily potentially recognized as something, as you said, because now they have a plan. Now they're like, ah, I know what I'm going to do now. I'll show these people. So until Friday and then that's the day, you know, and that's, that's really scary. Mm -hmm. So that's one that most people miss. And that's always my favorite one to, to say. And it's because anything that's different or, is a change in someone's behavior we have to watch out for if we're seeing a complete change of how they act how they interact if they're being you know more shy or they're being more happy or doing certain things that are not normal as supervisors as other workers in that environment need to uh confront that and ask a question and then if you get the wrong response then go to a supervisor mm-hmm. absolutely yeah, so you assist organizations in basically being able to develop sort of an individualized plan for what goes on based on the type of company, based on their layout, based on the employees, based on their work habits, based on their corporate culture, all of that kind of stuff, I would assume. Yes. And there's so much that goes into that. Um, but, you know, I always make sure that, you know, they have a multidisciplinary team of professionals that are coming in to set this up. Um, because you definitely want to make sure you have your policies in place that um, employees are educated. It's actually, I think it's a one in seven employees are actually um, very, they're very scared of coming to work. Um, one in seven. Yes, it is. I actually have, let's see. Um, it was one in seven. Um are, you know, they don't feel safe at work. And that was from the Society of Human Resource um, Management, SHRM. That organization did that uh, study and found that, yeah, one out of seven. And so a lot of them, you know, you have to be educating them, um, employees, on what it is they should report and what they what they should do and who to report it to. Because a lot of them, and even in the organizations I've worked, you know, I know where, but it may have taken me, you know, six months to know where that is that I'm supposed to report. And one of the things that I normally see in organizations, or they'll come back and tell me is that if after, you know, you go in and you do a workplace violence briefing to the employees, and you go over the signs and stuff, a slew of people come forward. Because it's right there, it's in the top of their head and they know, okay, this is what I should report. Um, Because the the more people who see a concerning behavior, the less likely it's to be reported because they always feel that somebody else is going to report it. Sure, it makes sense. Yeah. And the other thing with employees is they're never really sure if what they're seeing is how they're perceiving it because somebody else may perceive it as something different. And then so employees are really... Um, torn as to what they should report or if it should be something that's reported. So we always train people just report it regardless. Um, And we actually also, um, you know, consult with companies and tell them, you know, show your positive stories because. Yeah, Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I mean, there's positive stories, but everything, but I think that it needs to not just be and rely on the business. We need to educate people outside of that 
to understand this at any time and any place to be aware, as Pete talks about, of our environment around us, situational awareness. And he talks about that a lot with any type of situation. And workplace violence is something that we should be educated with before we even get our first job in certain ways and talk about it. And there's other opportunities for conversations so that we don't have these kind of situations or or people's fear that they don't even want to go to work each day. Just like kids that fear to go to school each day, it sounds like the same thing with people going to work each day. Yeah. Now, you talk about a multidisciplinary approach, mm-hmm. meaning people come in to talk about how to recognize this from a different standpoints, like what to do in a physical situation, what to do in a psychological situation, an emotional situation, that sort of thing. Yeah, absolutely. Whenever a company is setting up, you know, their workplace violence prevention plan, you should have legal folks in the mix. You should have local law enforcement. You should have your security. You should have um, your employee assistance programs or employee assistance services, whichever one it is. You know, you want to have the ombudsman, the conflict resolution uh, individuals or division, if you guys have one within the company um, that's setting this up. And, you know, have psychologists, have threat um, professionals who've done this for a living come in as well. And, you know, all of these professionals may not be within your organization, so you may need to go outside and bring them in, even if it's just um, on a consulting basis or, um, you know, they just come in maybe once a quarter, but, you know, gather all these individuals that all will play a part um, in preventing, um, analyzing, you know, behaviors and, and responding if if an incident would happen. So when you, do you find that employers are more receptive now to this sort of training or they still have a little bit of pushback thinking, you know, I don't know as if I really need this training. The chances of something happening in my workplace are very, very small because everybody's happy to work for me or something, you know, and and they, they are in this sort of denial phase or are you seeing less resistance to that now as unfortunately we see more and more incidents occur in places of worship, in places of business, in, you know, in places of entertainment, you know, we, we see this happening all over the place. Yes. I think just with the environment that's out there and also, you know, national directives that are coming down um, and just the awareness that's around the issue, a lot more companies are setting this up. A lot of employees and and managers and supervisors know now um, more of what to do. There still is a lot more that has to be done and it has to be continuous education. It can't just be one time and then forget it because people, you know, we forget. We need, we need reminders. But yes, I definitely see a lot of organizations doing a lot better job of this. So what would you say is a, is a good period of time to sort of refresh and, you know, renew the information that they're being taught quarterly, twice a year? Um, I would definitely say twice a year is fine. Like every six months, you know, just give a reminder and you could train on like, a, you know, a slightly different topic. So if you do recognizing warning signs at one point in time, um, the next time could be sort of an exit strategy, you know, um, sort of walking them through, like if something were to happen in your office, what, what are we going to do? You could do an active shooter training next. Um, so you can do these different types of trainings, even, you know, how to help a coworker who might be going through um, some tough times, bringing in your organization to show them what sort of uh, resources are out there. 
Uh, they might no, not know that you have financial assistance, you know, people that help people plan um, and manage their money. But if you get into a financial bind, that's going to cause a lot of stress. So you can vary the training, but I always suggest um, at least every six months. And how do the employers figure out the best trainings to do for their organization? Is it based on incidences that happened before? Look at HR. What's your best recommendation? We talked to Ashley, <laughs> right? Honestly, there's so many organizations out there um, who have training, but I also think you also have to look at your industry. Like healthcare is huge. Um, with being hit with workplace violence. So they're gonna have a little bit more specific training uh, in the healthcare industry. But I think like there's as is um, ATAP, is a threat assessment professional organization that has a lot of stuff out there. Uh, SHRM, also the Society of Human Resources Management, has a lot of stuff. Um, there is stuff out there. There's ones you can buy. So you can, I always like to integrate what's out there with specific stuff for your organization because you also have to look at your vulnerabilities. So, you know, some places have a lot more physical measures set up, whereas other places don't. So sort of that's where all the catering to that individual uh, organization comes in. And that's where the professionals that you gather together can sort of do an assessment of your organization to really see where the gaps are and see what you guys need as an organization. Yeah. Threat assessment is big, and, and I have a cybersecurity course that is is out there, and that's one of the big things is, you know, you have to know what the threats are to your organization from the outside, from the inside. You know, you, you would think cybersecurity, you got to worry about everybody hacking in. No, a lot of cybersecurity threats actually stem from individuals within the organization that might be downloading and stealing data to sell to somebody. Maybe they're being blackmailed. You know, maybe they have a, a, a sick family member and they need money for medical expenses and they're looking for ways to generate money. And so they're doing different things. And, and the pressures of, as you said, like things outside the workplace could bring themselves inside the workplace. And so being able to recognize where a threat can come from is obviously one of the, the most important things, you know, and then sitting down and going, okay, well, here are some of the threats that are out there. Here are the risks that we face. Let's sit down and say, okay, which ones of these are more likely to occur? And let's focus on those. And, you know, every organization is different. Every industry is different. Like you said, the medical industry, they've got a certain set of things that they've got to deal with. Uh, you know, entertainment, you know, protecting venues and artists and patrons. You've got, you know, uh, schools. I mean, we could talk about that all day, uh, you know, about how to secure schools, you know, on the perimeter and, and access and all these other things that have to occur. So uh, it's very, very interesting that, um, you know, the parallels are very similar, if not almost identical between, you know, threats that exist offline in the workplace environment and online because they both exist. They both have to be recognized. They both have to be sort of, you know, dealt with. Uh, and hopefully in a proactive way that through education and through recognition, you can sort of, you know, diminish or at least reduce uh, to a certain extent those threats that exist. And hopefully it doesn't, you know, affect you or your organization uh, in a potentially really bad way. Absolutely. You know, also. Hello, we got a little noise there. <laughs> um, so in terms of, um, what organizations can do? I mean, education is probably the most important. Would you agree like to just, you know, educate people and then take these plans that stem from that education? And that's sort of the, you know, I guess the plan. 
Yes, um, that's definitely a start. But what I see a lot of organizations um, doing is they're not addressing every report that comes in. Um, they may be brushing off the side or saying, oh, well, we don't need to look into that further. That doesn't seem like it's that, that important. But employees need to know that you're addressing everything that comes forward because if they think that you're not doing anything with it or you're not telling them that you're doing it and showing what you're doing, that's the other thing you need to do that, you know, we took this seriously um, and we are looking into it. So I just always recommend that people, you know, address everything that comes in um, because that's very important. And always let your employees know, you know, what is happening in, with these, you know, and don't always just show the punitive side. Um, you know, coworkers may see someone who's gone all of a sudden. You need to address and say what happened, but you also need to say the positives. So I've had a lot of um, companies that I've read about that do positive things, like they put out, you know, awards for people who came by and reported things and then, you know, saved a coworker's life or, you know, protected, you know, some vulnerability that, you know, could have been exploited. You know, people are speaking up and if you show the good side of it as well, that's always positive. And, um, and, you know, just, I think with terminations, there needs to be a lot more, uh, humanity in those terminations. We call them, you know, sort of the soft landing, you know, respecting their dignity because mm-hmm. a lot of people, especially um, those who work in the with clearances or you're in secure areas, you're sort of just, you know, walked out without being able to say anything. And, and while you do have to protect the security side, there are certain things that organizations, I think, need to do and to sort of, you know, respect that person's dignity, even in an awful situation and sort of, you know, give them help. There's even some organizations now that help them look for jobs. Um, they've created, you know, departments that help terminated employees look for other jobs and connect them with resources. So I think that's also, but you know, we'll, we'll help you find another job, but just not here. I I think it would actually stop, you know, a lot of, um, a lot of grievances that these people have and grievances are one of the number one things that, um, you know, those who go on to act violently, you know, they have some sort of grievance. What is the percent of workplace violence? What what percent are we seeing specifically in specific industries? Do you have any of those numbers? Um, I don't have like specific numbers. I know I have some stats on like the cost. So I know like um, domestic violence issues cost um, nearly I think it's 727 million in lost productivity. Um, it's a lot of money. Yeah. Um, I think it's like 2 million employees um, are pretty much affected by workplace violence in some way. And I honestly think it's probably higher than that. You know, as we talk, about I would think so too. That sounds low. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I think that's around that. And um, you know, 70% of the active shooters actually do occur in sort of a business or workplace school, you know, workplace related type of. That's um, a big percentage. Now you may have have gotten this before, and this is something that I've, I've written about in a couple of my books. And that is you have to, you have a really tough decision. If the person who is perpetrating the bullying or the workplace violence against you is your boss. Absolutely. And that is a really tricky topic because it's like the person you're going to report it to is your boss and they're the one who's doing it. So it's like, what do you, what's your recourse now? I mean, you could go sort of outside the organization to some of these, these outside organizations, but 
that's going to make a really hostile work environment for you. If it wasn't hostile before, guaranteed it's going to be hostile after that. And so, you know, basically what I, I tell people is we get a really tough choice to make. I mean, either you've got to take that step and report it to another organization, or if there is somebody above that boss or that manager, if your boss is the owner, you've got nowhere else to go to. So you either got to go to an outside organization and report them, or you've got to leave your job. You're going to have to quit because there's really no other way you know, to do it. And so for people like that, I mean, th- what are some of the, the outside organizations that exist to help individuals if they're not getting the help that they are receiving? I, I, I know some of them, I can't think of them all off the top of my head, but I'm sure you may be a little bit more familiar with them. Um, well, it depends on where you're located and what industry you're in as well. I mean, I always, if you have an internal investigations, you know, a lot of people go there. Um, you know, if you're in the military or department of defense, there's big IGs, um, reporting entities. Um, there's a lot of like civil, um, organizations that sort of help depending on what the complaint is. Um, so then you can sort of research those, but I mean, the department of labor, right? I mean, you can go Mm -hmm. to the department of labor. They have all kinds of things, OSHA, right? So there are, there is recourse, (laughs) you know, there's hope for the people out there that are thinking, you know what, I'm being harassed, but my boss is the one who's harassing me. Like, what, what do I do? What's my recourse? You know, do I just quit my job? I love my job other than this jerk, you know, or this person who's bothering me. And, um, it's a, that's a tough situation to be in. And I, and I feel for people because it, like you said, it happens to a lot of people, you know, 2 million seems low. (laughs) I feel like you need to put another zero there. You know, it's probably a lot higher, especially when you, when you, factor in things like bullying and you know it doesn't have to just be a violent act you know somebody going after you and assaulting you there's a you know psychological you know things that people can do to you there's emotional things that they could do there's you know outright bullying you know they could be doing things like um for example stealing credit for the work that you're doing and passing it off as their own that's a form of bullying you know it's like hey i did that work no you didn't you know, it's like, so, and it, those things can all get really, you know, can be disheartening for somebody and, and make them feel helpless and hopeless, but there is hope, <laughs> right? Uh, Definite hope. And we have to, Ashley's the one person's going to help us, right? Help us understand this. And through listening to this broadcast, they're going to be able to figure out, okay, how can we stop workplace violence? And that's a great question. Now you've told us about all the things that have happened what you've talked about some of the measures, but how can we really stop this, Ashley, unless it goes to new laws that are on the books or better ways of looking at each other's businesses and really looking at specific workplace violence or bullying that's going on in the the industries? How can we stop it? Because it seems like it's not going to stop even with repercussions of being fired or certain things. How can we decrease this? I wish I could say we could, but honestly, um, the best thing you can do is just, you know, put the proper things in place to try to prevent it. It is going to happen because it may not happen within your organization, the actual physical building, because I always tell people, you know, you can terminate an employee and tell them don't come back on the premise, but they could stand outside with a gun and start picking people off as they come out of the door, Um, you know, and so you can try your best, but that's honestly the best we can do. And I, I just think, 
you know, really knowing your employees to know when there's sort of, you know, a change in that behavior. I think with also a lot of remote employees, it's also harder to get to know them because a lot of people aren't working actually in the office. And I've, I've dealt with a lot of cases where, you know, that person comes in one day a week, but they're the ones who ended up, you know, as a, as a perpetrator in the cases. Um, but knowing your employees and really just trying your best and being very vigilant you know, we can try our best, but honestly, the great things about humans is there's no two that are alike, but that's also the hard thing when you're dealing in this industry, because you never know what a person is going to do. And and even in my field, I can never say for sure if someone's going to be violent, I can say they have a high likelihood or, you know, the risk of them committing violence is pretty low because we're humans and we can change what we're going to do on a dime. So you just honestly never know. So it's a, it's a tough problem to tackle and hopefully one day we'll have the answer. Yeah. Well, it's like you said, I mean, it's really a problem to eat. It's, it's hard to, you know, sort of say, yes, there's, there's an end in sight because there's always going to be pressure. There's always going to be stress. There's always going to be things that affect us, but there are, things like threat assessment teams that can help with workplace violence. Maybe you could tell us a little bit more about that. Mm-hmm. Yes. I think um, every organization should have um, a threat assessment team. And again, that's that multidisciplinary team where you where you have all those individuals on there and you have professionals who um, go out and gather data that you're going to need to be able to assess the threat. So you have to know who the perpetrator is. You have to know stuff about them through interviewing them, through interviewing people who know them. You're going to need to get records checks, you know, through law enforcement. If you're in a school, you know, what, um, what services has this individual taken, um, assistance from, you know, do they have records, you know, make sure that communication is happening. Um, and you're going to need to, you know, also be able to look, you have to look at the targets, who are those targets um, that the perpetrator is focused on? Is it general? Is it specific? And you're also going to have to notify them and put plans in place to protect them as well. And so these are things that threat assessment teams do. So, you know, you asked, you know, how you can prevent it being proactive with threat assessment teams and you all this that you're putting in place is honestly the best thing you can do because you don't just want to be reactive, but that's what a lot of organizations end up doing. Um, But these threat assessment teams have everything ready to go so that in the uh, um, incident that some sort of concerning behavior comes up or there is an act of violence that, you know, is on a low level, but you're afraid it's going to go higher, these threat assessment teams can come in gather all this information, and then sort of assess the risk, also put into place um, assistance to help the perpetrator. That's the other thing I don't want people to think, you know, we're just going to like push these perpetrators um, further away or ostracize them because honestly, a lot of times they want to be heard. They need assistance for whatever they're going through. And if organizations can also deal with them in a compassionate way to sort of get them off the pathway to violence, then that also averts a lot of the incidents that could have happened is just treating that perpetrator also um, with compassion and understanding as well. Now, also, I mean, I, I always encourage people, too, that if there's any sort of problem or threat or issue, that they keep good records of what's going on. You know, even it was, you know, so-and-so did this to me at the water cooler today, you know, and so you start to build sort of that, build the case for it so that if, they, you know, it comes to the point where you need to, for example, 
you know, have a police report done, the police are going to take you much more seriously. Or, you know, the people that are in charge of your, you know, your threat assessment teams, you know, if you, if they come in here and to your business and they're doing an assessment uh, and you have been experienced this, you can go to them and say, Hey, look, these are some of the things that have been happening to me here. Here are the days, here are the times, here are the details. They're going to go, whoa, this person is serious. They have this recording. Oh, yeah. And here's the screenshots of the text that they sent me. And here's copies of the emails that they sent me. And you kind of build your own sort of evidence folder. And it illustrates to those in law enforcement and into those positions that are you know, in the position to, to hopefully assist you that you're really serious. And this is a real problem so that they take whatever measures are necessary. I mean, don't you think that that's a, something that people should be doing as well? Yes. You, perfect point. And you stated it very well, because a lot of people will get rid of um, evidence or they don't write it down, like you're saying, or they delete it, um, or they forgot to take pictures. You know, if, if someone destroyed something in the office, you know, definitely take a picture of that. If something was vandalized, you know, you want to have that evidence. So the more individuals can gather um, and, and share it. And also when you're going to someone to share it, let them know where else you reported it or where you shared it so they can talk to that entity because maybe they ask different questions that the other entity isn't asking, but then together sort of brings up that whole picture of what's happening. I've, um, the communication aspect is also very key, but very good point. Yeah, if somebody uh, else can corroborate, definitely. that makes your case that much stronger. Now, Ashley, workplace violence, does it occur where there are lots of people around or a lot of times in private? So that leads to using video surveillance more and things like that that are not exactly the camera on you all times, but at places where there could be those opportunities for workplace violence, more cameras in areas that are less manage might be a very good idea and to kind of decrease some of the workplace violence as well. Absolutely. Um, that is always good. I, it wasn't my case, but I was told of a case where um, a manager was actually just bullying and berating all the employees. And, and at one point in time, an employee finally, you know, fought back and got violent. And that supervisor who'd been creating this work environment, um, you know, bad environment, went and reported it. And if those cameras hadn't have been there, they wouldn't have then went back and looked to see that, you know, why the employee acted the way he did based on, you know, what the supervisor was doing. So sort of, you know, the victim then turned into, you know, the perpetrator as well. And so it helps in those instances. And I also think, there's certain places you can't put cameras, you know, especially in the government. Um, government workers are at a high risk for um, workplace violence. And so you can't have cameras in secure areas or different places. And so I've worked some cases where employers thought these victims, you know, were crazy and what happened couldn't have happened to them because it was so absurd. Um, but through, um, IT related or, you know, cyber logs and different things that they were able to go, they were um, in pool, they were able to, you know, basically prove that person's point. Um, so video is great, but when you can't have that in there, definitely do all you can to pull, you know, any technologically related um, logs or um, video or anything that you have that can also back that up. I would think it would be a deterrent if people know, hey, there's a camera watch and they're going to be less likely to bully people knowing or to, you know, cause violence. Or, you know, if they're thinking about it, they're going to be like, hey, 
well, there's a camera watching. Maybe I will, won't do it, you know? And so anything that could be a deterrent, you know, as you said, I mean, you can't have cameras everywhere. Um, good or bad, they do exist in many, many places. Uh, some people may view it as a deterrent. Other people may not care. Unfortunately, we see sometimes the opposite where it's like, I'm going to do this on camera. I want people to see what I'm doing, you know, in, in, in the case of, you know, some of these active shooters where at the end of it, they know that they're going to take their own lives. And so they want that to be sort of publicized and they want that to be out there. And, you know, now they're saying, you know, hey, and I've been saying this for a while, stop talking about the person that did it because now the next person is going to be like oh look at they're saying about this guy and his background this is what he did and it's on the news and it's all over the place and it's on every channel and i want that to be me no that when, when this incident this latest uh recent one happened in new zealand what did that uh, that uh, police officer say he's i'm going to say the guy's name once and only once and i'm ever going to repeat it again his name will never pass my lips and i think that is absolutely the right approach because then anybody who's interested in sort of you know, causing some sort of violence, it sort of loses its luster a little bit. It's like, well, they're not going to talk. They're not talking about this guy. Why, why, why do I want to do it? Nobody's going to know who I am. Hey, it's one little piece, but at this point, every little piece helps. And if it can deter some of that, that violence from, a, from even starting, I'm all for anything that's going to do that, you know? Absolutely. And one of the things you'll see with mass shooters or school shooters is they have this affinity for these people who have committed violence. And that's actually one of the warning signs, you know, if if they're worshiping these people or, you know, start talking about these people. And there's actually some groups, and I don't know their names, but there's some groups out there lobbying for um, federal laws to where you wouldn't release the perpetrator's identities um, to the, the, in the, the media. To the media, right. Yeah, I don't know. Don't even let them know. It's like, yep, this happened. We took care of it. Person that did it has been dealt with. <laughs> end of story, you know, end of story for that guy. Unfortunately, not the end of the story for the people involved. And, you know, and your heart always goes out to them because it's like, you know, so much of this stuff doesn't make sense. And you, you can't understand why people do the things they do a lot of times. So recognizing those threats ahead of time through like what you're talking about, some of this training and, and this sort of, uh, uh, the warning signs that hopefully people begin to see, hey, you know, maybe there's a problem here. And uh, and if they can report it and prevent something from happening, that's that's great. Well, you know, then the last, I guess, part of this is something does happen, unfortunately, right? What can an organization do after that event? Obviously, they, they better learn from it. They better make some changes as a result from it. But what, what what would you say? What what does an organization need to do to sort of recover from whatever that quote event happens to be? Yeah, and that's multifaceted. You know, you're also going to need to have your damage assessments done. You know, come in and do you know all the physical stuff. But um, you're also going to continue to monitor. A lot of people say, "Oh, it's over." Um, and they stop, you know, and they're just focusing on what happened. But you have to continue that sort of threat assessment ongoing because, you know, someone may have, like you said, seen that and think, well, if that worked for that person, I'm going to do this too. And so continue that threat assessment. And, um, you know, as we had mentioned before this, you know, just notifications to people, you know, what happened, you know, where to get assistance, you know, what the, you know, assistance for families as well. So you want to sort of bring in union leadership, if there's a union um, within some of these organizations and, you know, bring in crisis response teams, bring in um, 
people who can answer questions for, like I said, the families and for those affected. And, you know, just sort of build this around, um, build a sense of community around the workplace. And also take into account, you know, if it happened in the workplace, people may not want to go right back to where they're working or, you know, see some of these reminders. So sometimes people have moved people to an office, you know, was a half hour away and they have different offices. You know, you have to clean up as much as you can. Sometimes there's been physical reminders left, like, you know, stuff was destroyed and not fixed right away, or, um, you know, there were marks where things happened. And so you just really have to think about sort of, you know, what might be triggering to those employees coming back and really work with them and let them know that you're, you're working with them and they can come forward and let you know, um, what is happening, you know, internally with them and what support they need. And also legal teams, need to come in and, you know, just try to manage the media and just deal with any um, legal uh, suits or issues that are coming up. And so, again, it's just that multidisciplinary team coming in and being able to. And and technology, you know, really is something that can assist in these sorts of of events. Um, There's a company that uh, you know, a lot of great companies that, you know, Neil and I saw when we were at the at the security show in Las Vegas this past week. And, you know, one of them, SafeCard, is they won the Best News Emergency Communications System Award for a device that has a panic button on it. It's a badge holder. You know, all these employees, they have their electronic badges. They have to get use it to get into buildings and into rooms and swipe in and out, et cetera. And this is a holder that the card slides into, and it has a panic button. So, you know, if there is a, a major problem or even a not so major problem, uh, you know, they're, they're able to have something like this on their person where they can hit a button and all of a sudden the central, you know, the security officer, the campus safety office in the, in the you know, case of a school or a college now knows the location of the individual. They know who it is and where they are. And now, you know, they can send help there. And there are so many technologies out there. But something like this, and uh, you know, we, we talked briefly about it uh, before we got the show started, is an incredible, you know, powerful thing to be able to have this panic button on the person, you know, on something that they've got to have with them all the time anyway. Whether it's a student or it's an employee, if you've got your swipe card for access to where you got to go, you're going to have it. Now here's something that can make you feel a little bit safer, you know, because you you know that okay, if there's a problem, I can hit this button. Help's going to arrive. Hopefully, it gets there in time. Right. Because, you know, these things can happen, obviously, very, very quickly. But it's an it's a one small measure that can end up at the very least help lessen the severity of an event or on the you know, in the best case scenario, save somebody's life. And if something can save a life, I mean, that's you can't put a value on that. You just you just can't. And uh, with so many I mean, there are biometric technologies out there. I mean, there, we, I saw so many cameras with, you know, facial recognition technologies and ones that, you know, they actually analyze the person's gait, right? So as you're walking along, it was drawn a little stick figure because everybody has a unique way that they walk. Okay. There was one that analyzed the, the, the veins on the back of your hand, the vascular signature. So you put your hand in there and, boop, you know, so there's all these different ways that we can, you know, have access control through insensitive areas there, we have things that, uh, you know, technology just <laughs> in, in leaps and bounds, it's like every time you turn around, there are these new and emerging technologies. And when they can keep the people safe, when they can keep the assets safe, when they can keep the business safe and secure, all of these things are awesome. 
They don't necessarily have to cost a ton of money. Obviously, yes, some can be very expensive, but they don't necessarily need to be. And as someone who is trying to mitigate the risk of workplace violence, I think you would agree that it would behoove an employer uh, to make an investment in some sort of technology that shows, look, we're we're doing what we can. We've made an investment in X technology to help reduce the risk of any problems occurring to our employees. And that's got to go a long way, wouldn't you say, towards how they feel about their employer? Well, that one's twofold. So I will say that a lot of people, yes, don't mind it, especially people who've been in government or military establishments where it's been the norm from the beginning of your career um, on love it and see it that way. There are some individuals who, and it's it's a lot of times the younger ones right now, you know, they don't want that monitoring. They don't see what, you know, sort of the need for these precautions are. And so honestly, it can go both ways. So I think you just really need to educate um, those in, in the organization to say, you know, this isn't because we don't trust you. This, this is for your safety and this is why we're doing this and this is how it can help you. So I think as long as you're implementing those things and alerting employees as to why you're doing it, um, that definitely helps counter some of the negativity that I've seen happen within organizations whenever you do put those into place. Because me, I'm fine with it. <laughs> now, now, Ashley, do you work with schools as well? Uh, um, yes, yeah. I do. Um, so what are you seeing specifically enough with teachers or students, both looking at the work, the school environment and how it stays safe and stuff? What, how, how do you do your consulting in schools versus like other places? Yeah. Um, I mean, schools, you're just you're dealing with a different clientele, essentially. And, and there are different safety concerns. You know, there you also have the parents. You, you need a lot of permission for certain things. I mean, we just saw in the news you know, the one school that had done the active shooter drill where they actually came in and were shooting people with fake guns and stuff. And, you know, it can be traumatizing. So you really have to be aware of sort of how you're teaching that and use different methods um, because you can't go into a school and expect everyone to understand because these are children. And you also have the different dynamics. There's, there's a lot more doors and a lot more access to schools. And a lot more legal issues and like rules that you have to deal with in a school, um, a lot of protections for, for students and different things that you have to deal with. So it is a different um, environment, but thankfully the school threat assessment and the, you know, the school violence prevention, there's so much more work that's been done on it. Um, I think because you have you know, those, those children, a lot of times that you're trying to protect. So there's a lot of good resources out there, um, that schools can tap into for that. And there are a lot of schools at the show, a lot of people interested in learning about different ways to protect the students and the teachers and securing the schools, you know, from a physical safety standpoint with, you know, different access control and video and, and swipe card and stuff like that, uh, or biometrics, as I was mentioning, uh, to, you know, the physical side of it, you know, like how do we protect ourselves if something does happen here? And, you know, technology can only do so much and people can only do so much. But I think education is the sort of cornerstone that all of this has to rely upon because understanding what the threats are and knowing that there are ways that those threats and risks can be mitigated has to be communicated. And it starts, it helps 
Does it solve it 100%? No, nothing ever will. But if we can get closer to that 100% mark, you know, even if it's 80, 90%, hey, it's better than zero. Absolutely. And I think also with the schools, um, Neil, also incorporating the students into some of the planning and letting them help with some of the education and stuff, because a lot of students are now willing and want to stop this. And so if you get them on board, you know, at least the reporting goes up, you know, when you bring in these technologies, they understand. And so I think incorporating the students um, when you're, you're putting this stuff together, even if it's just like a town hall meeting or things like that, it really does help in the schools. And then they understand what's going on. That's a, and that's a good thing. You know, because they, they just think, oh, what do we got to do this? You know, and 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 bring and, and involving the students is is absolutely you know important because they feel like they're part of the solution now. You know, it's not just about the teacher and the administrator; it's it's the students. So, what what can we do? How can we help? Whether it's to thwart bullying or some other you know violence. And so, um, if uh, if there are those out there that are you know interested in learning about you and your services, where can our listeners go to learn more about you? It's just ashleydesirio.com. Um, I'm sure you will put it up or I can spell it out. Yes, I will. Um, so just look for um, the link to my website, but you can go there. Um, I have a team of professionals um, that help me out in different backgrounds. So we're here to assist if people need us. And even if you just need education, we'll send you resources and things like that. We, we do a lot of a lot of stuff for people. Excellent. We'll have to talk a little bit more about this. Do you have any last thoughts for our listeners today? Honestly, just say, you know, don't be afraid to report. And if you don't know where to report something, you know, find out, ask someone, because, you know, a lot of times these employees, you know, you're the first line of defense and employers don't be scared of legal action, you know, take action, uh, be proactive rather than reactive because, you know, you definitely protection is the key here and you can deal with the legal stuff later. Excellent. And that's uh, there. You covered both sides of this. So, well, I, you know, thanks for being on Safety Talk, Ashley. And uh, thanks to our listeners for tuning in. You can always get more information and the latest news about safety at our safetytalkpodcast.com site. Uh, next week, we're going to have another exciting show for you. And it's actually going to expand a bit on today's episode because that show is going to feature a sociobiologist and futurist who's actually going to be discussing how we can use AI, or artificial intelligence, to predict crimes. And it sounds like a bit like... Uh, Minority Report, the movie, uh, to me, but uh, it's it's scary because it's coming and AI is uh, making inroads at all different places in our technology and our lives today. So I hope you'll join me for what is sure to be a very enlightening show. And so until next time, uh, Neil, any last words from you there, buddy? Uh, not at all. Just really uh, interesting uh, information. I think that it makes people more think more about how things can blow up and how we need to treat others better. And we have to look out for our neighbors and work and not always think of ourselves when we're at work and really focus on things. And as an employer, how are our employees doing looking at their mental health in so many ways, looking at specifically what they're doing and caring about them is a very important thing that could stop some of these things from happening. Absolutely. So, all right, Ashley, thank you so much for being on. And, uh, Again, until next time, we're signing off. Good night. Thanks for tuning in to Safety Talk. You can listen to past episodes and get the latest safety news at our website, safetytalkpodcast.com. 
Be sure to visit our other websites for free safety checklists and infographics. You can also sign up for free online self-defense training, learn about college campus safety, and find out more about Pete and how he can help educate your school or business through his speaking, workshops, seminars, and consulting. Subscribe to the Safety Talk podcast and never miss out on any new safety information. Until next time, stay safe.